Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another uh, episode, and this time we go way back into the uh, into the archives and touch on Rhapsody's first album, Legendary Tales. Before we do that, Chris Bud, how you doing? I'm d- doing very good. I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, as you know, um, listening to this album took me down the Rhapsody rabbit hole this week, and and so I am I am. Uh, girded for battle at this point. I am. I, I can. I'm looking at you. I see you've got your loincloth and your fuzzy boots and your and your broadsword. So it should be. We should be in for a good one. Before we get to that, though, uh, anything I'll... else? <laughs> anything else you've been listening to this week that you enjoyed? Uh, yeah, just a couple of things worth mentioning. Um, I, I, I haven't posted yet. I probably will by the time the uh, this episode airs. But I have a couple of new. Uh, playlist to share with uh with everybody and um there's some cool stuff um some of the songs uh you've recommended um throughout the weeks um uh some of them are just stuff that's come out recently um i finally got a chance i think i mentioned it last week to listen to the new power wolf single beast of uh gavadan i believe gavadan something to that effect but um they also released uh a video with Alyssa White Gluz from uh, Arch Enemy, and uh, they are doing a bonus disc on this new album that's coming out later this year, where uh, different singers are going to be doing, you know, basically just singing along to Powerwolf songs, kind of like karaoke style. And so um, she does a version of uh, "Demons Are a Girl's Best Friends," totally in uh, death vocals. It's really pretty cool. I'm looking forward to hearing um, some of the other renditions. I know uh, uh, Chris Christopher Bose from Alestorm is doing a track, and um, Primal Fears. Uh, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, Ralph the, Sheepers. Yeah, Ralph Sheepers will be doing a track uh, amongst many others. So that that's really kind of cool. And yeah, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this: you brought this to my attention this week. I had no idea they were doing this. Um, I, I was a big Powerwolf fan when they first started, and I kind of. I haven't listened to much of their newer stuff, but I definitely listened to this single uh, with, with Alyssa, and it was fantastic. I loved it. I, I actually think that we should do an episode on them in the future because I think that w- that would be a lot of fun. They are um, they are just really big right now, and, and I think that um, with each album, they seem to be getting more popular, so I'm kind of curious to see what this does for them. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, it's just cool to hear um these songs done in, in different vocal styles or at least this is the only one i've heard so far but um it will be i imagine kind of cool um it, i think it's something other bands might want to consider doing uh just because it's it's neat um there's also a um majestica who um was a, a big favorite of mine formerly Rainseed. uh they released a two-track uh single um, of two live tracks that they did in tokyo um, above the sky being the the main track, which was their single from their uh, debut album, and then they also did the Rain Seed song "Welcome to the Theater." So, if you want to hear some, uh, you know, pro because uh, Rain Seed never released any any uh, pro like professionally recorded live material, so um, this would be the first time you get to hear it. Um, you know, just pretty much exactly what you'd expect, just power metal goodness and. Uh, You'll find that on on one of the playlists, as well as um, Halloween released another single from their upcoming self-titled album, and the song is uh, Fear of the Fallen, and um, 
Uh, this one was written by Andy Darris, whereas the, the previous single was written by Kai Hansen. And uh, this is awesome. And I, I mentioned to you during the week that um, I used to think that Andy Darris was one of the weaker songwriters in, in Halloween when he first joined the band. But um, his songwriting has really, really gotten really good on uh, with this song and some of the songs from the previous album as well. I was impressed. I, I honestly thought that this was going to be, this was a song that Wikey wrote and, and I did a little research and found out that it was actually Andy. So uh, cheers to Andy. Um, great use of uh, all three vocalists. It's mostly sung by, by Kiskin and, and Darius, but uh, Kai, you know, makes his, uh, his appearances as well. So I, I am so excited for that whole album to come out and it's only another week or two away. Yeah. I, um, I don't know that I've been this excited for an album maybe ever. <laughs> I like this. This is so many, so many decades in the making at this point. I am very much looking forward to it. Um, but much like yourself, I went down the Rhapsody rabbit hole and I, and I really got caught up in a lot of that stuff um, this week, obviously because of the, the album that we were doing it at your request as a result, I listened to a bunch of other things that had nothing to do with power metal. So I just wanted to mention a few of them because I thought that they were kind of cool. Uh, the first album that I really kind of dug was a, an album by a band, um, for a French progressive rock band called Nine Skies. Uh, these guys uh, have a bunch of albums out now, but their new one is called 520 came out a couple of days ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe last month or so. Um, really, really cool stuff. A lot of acoustic guitars, kind of like a porcupine tree vibe on, on a number of tracks. And, uh, not only, um, are there a bunch of guest appearances such as Steve and John Hackett, but also, uh, one of my favorite vocalists makes an appearance, namely Damien Wilson, formerly of Threshold. So definitely a cool album and some really interesting tracks, uh, a little slow, a little slow in certain ways, but, Nonetheless, a nice contrast to a lot of the Rhapsody stuff that I was listening to. So definitely worth checking out. I'll, I'll post a track or two during the week. Another band in a completely different genre, uh, I guess we'll call it progressive black metal, a band called Code out of the UK. I think they're from London, actually. This band has a number of albums. I've never heard any of them, but I saw this album and it had gotten some impressive reviews. So I figured I would check it out. Really, really interesting stuff. Uh, an album that's kind of all over the place. Definitely black metal. Definitely some prog rock in there. Uh, definitely some, um, you know, post rock, I guess we'll call it. It's a little bit all over the place. From what I understand, their last album was definitely moving in that prog rock direction. And this was more of a return to form uh, from their black metal roots. Really cool album, interesting, and and definitely different from some of the stuff I usually listen to. So I I, I enjoyed that one as well. Um, that album, I think, came out a couple of days ago as well. And the third piece of music that I heard was a single from an upcoming EP by an artist called Onslow from Perth, Australia. It features Scott K of Voyager, um, and it was a really interesting track as well. The song is called Freddie Mercury. Uh, they released a music video for it just a couple of days ago. Um and it was just something different and, and music that was just not what I'm used to hearing from Scott. So if for, for the Voyager fans out there, definitely give this a listen. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Scott is just uh, such a, uh, uh, you know, he's just such a, a great musician in so many different ways. Um, he, you know, Voyager is not his only band clearly. And, and so, 
um, if I see really, if I see anybody's, you know, name from Voyager slapped on something else, you could bet your, bet your bottom dollar. I'm going to check it out. And, and, and before we get to Rhapsody, I just wanted to mention, um, there were two, uh, two singles that got dropped today. Um, and I'll just mention them quickly. Uh, another single, uh, from Night Flight Orchestra called Burn For Me, which also has an accompanying video and, you know, nothing unusual from them, which means it's awesome. (laughs) And, uh, a band that hasn't released anything in a while, uh, came out with a, a new single today, uh, and that's the band Pain. Uh, they're kind of like a, a more on the industrial metal kind of side, and they released a new song called uh, Party in My Head, um, which is, you know, a li- probably a little bit more, you know, poppier than not as dark as some of their other uh, older material, but um, it, it, they haven't released an album in quite some time. I think when they played at Prog Power a few years ago, um, their last album came out in 2016, and uh, I think when they played at Prog Power, this out al- their previous album had just come out, and they haven't released anything since. And there, if you buy the single on iTunes, um, there's a cool B side. They do a cover of the Rolling Stones' "Gimme Shelter." So um, yeah, I just wanted to mention those two also real quick. Um, so yeah, a lot, you know, after a week of not really listening to much, I, I had a lot kind of come across my uh my desk this week so it's been kind of cool to listen to a ton of rhapsody stuff but also have some of this other different kind of stuff uh same sounds like same same with you yeah it was it was a busy week for me in my uh personal life but it was a nice kind of escape listening to some of this stuff and and i've mentioned this a bunch of times in the past i i try to really vary up what i'm listening to because i can't listen to just 37 power metal albums in a row uh at this point i can although although (laughs) you can although it seems like i did that with rhapsody anyway so for me the contrast with some of these other styles was nice and i I, i'd be remiss if i um i guess i didn't mention the, the the name of that code album which was called um fly blown prince that's fly blown prince again that's the name of the album i don't think i mentioned that earlier so i just i wanted to mention that i'll post a track or two just because uh, just going back to it for a second the old, the closest comparison was arcturus i guess but it was just really kind of out there stuff but cool very different but let's let's get to the reason why why we're here which is obviously rhapsody's debut album legendary tales you had given me the choice between this and and, and uh symphony of enchanted lands their second album so, of course, I listened to both and then just about everything else for the first uh, five or seven years of their career. But I wanted to talk about the debut because it really talks, you know, it really hits on the band's roots and, and how they got started and stuff like that. But before we get into the band, how did you first hear Rhapsody? I will never forget the first time I heard Rhapsody. I was at uh, our friend Ralph's house and his cousin Pat brought the this album over and I had just started listening to, to, to metal. And so he pops this on and I hear this first like minute and a half of, of like this, this uh, nothing I'd ever heard more heard <laughs> before, like this kind of like, you know, Latin speaking with like orchestral, like, like medieval thing. And, and then all of a sudden, the 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 first main track warrior of ice comes on and I, I to say that my mind was blown at that moment was would be an understatement i it was just love at first note like i i knew that this was a band that i was going to be a big fan of because 
to me, they combined this, the, the, the power met, the, the, the fast power metal that Halloween perfected in the late eighties with this like Hollywood soundtrack, symphonic orchestral. And, and nobody was really doing, I mean, not a lot of bands were doing this at the time. I think we mentioned the same thing when we were talking about Nightwish a few weeks back when Oceanborn was released right around the same time, I think a year later. Um, but this kind of like symphonic power metal that that was kind of done like a medieval style. With, I, I think I want to say that this was kind of like a groundbreaking thing and just my just mind blown. And my my, uh, my aunt and uncle got me the album for Christmas, I think, uh, later that year. And I listened to the hell out of this album from the second I had it. I was obsessed with it. So let me ask this question. And and. You know, it's it, this album obviously comes out, well, not obviously, but it comes out on October 27th of 1997. Uh, the lineup, and we'll just obviously get into it, Fabio Leone, obviously, on lead vocals, Luca Torelli on guitars, Alex Staropoli on, on keyboards, and Daniela Carbonera on drums. Had you heard Fabio Leone's vocals on Labyrinth's No Limit, their debut album that had come out a year prior, or did you hear Rhapsody first? Uh, you know what? It's... It was so close together. I'm not sure. I remember again, I, I believe Ralph played us, um, uh, the song Vertigo from, uh, No Limit. So it was either this or that. That was my, my first introduction to, to Fabio, it's Fabio's vocals. And I, I had both of those albums early on in my, in my fandom. So, um, it was almost kind of surprising to me that it was the same guy only because I feel like his vocal styles, I mean, Fabio is, the master of so many different vocal styles. I mean, even operatic vocals, which he didn't do a whole lot of in the early Rhapsody days, but you'll start to hear more of it later on. Um, the dude is an unbelievable vocalist in so many ways. And the fact that he sounded like a different singer and the fact that he had a different name in the booklet for the, <laughs> the Labyrinth album under the, the stage name, Joe Terry, which sounds like a, a, a wrestling jobber. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 he quickly became one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite vocalists, and he still is to this day. I, I, I'm happy you mentioned that. I was going to mention this towards the end, but it's I think just so poignant here. I actually had a long conversation with him about this after an Angra show a couple of years ago. I had the pleasure of speaking with Fabio for about a half an hour, and I asked him, you know, is it a conscious decision on his part to really sound so different? On all these discs, obviously the Rhapsody stuff, the Labyrinth stuff that preceded it, but then you have him on Angra discs and and a bunch of guest appearances on on a number of different albums, and it was something that he really took great pride in because um, it, it's 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 not by accident. It's just that he's able to do so many different variations of his signature sound that he's able to really sound like a different singer in many ways on a number of his projects, and and he really took great pride in that, and and actually. You know, in his opinion, a lot of other singers, I think, were more of one-trick ponies to him. So he 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 never understood why people didn't kind of diversify their sound. Um, but that's not something he did. So I, I totally hear you. For me, I had heard – I remember hearing Labyrinth first. So when I heard him on the Rhapsody discs, obviously I, I put two and two together. But I actually – I couldn't believe how different he sounded than he did on No Limits. Yeah. Uh, and just to follow up on – what you said about Fabio. I remember when he was announced to be uh, going on tour with, with Camelot um, after 
in between what uh, Khan and and uh, Tommy Karavik as their vocalist, and I remember thinking to myself like, what a what a weird matchup that is, and 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 then when I saw him, I, I was like, he it sounds like he's was made to be in Camelot, like, and the same thing when I heard he was going to be in Angra, like that he just has a you don't way think it fits, but then he's like a chameleon, he blends right in. Yeah, it's. It's pretty incredible, um, uh, you know. I, God, I've seen him sing for so many different, so many different bands, and 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 the fact he's he's got to be one of the most most used um, like guest vocalists on so many albums. Um, and it doesn't even matter if it's like a well known band. Like he he really seems to to put himself out there for new and up and coming bands, and it's. I mean, Fabio's everywhere. I mean, he's been on an Arion album. I don't know if he's been on an Avantasia album. I don't think he has. But, um, I mean, the, the dude is great. I, I know that there's definitely kind of like a love-hate thing because I know there's a lot of people that don't really enjoy his vocals. But uh, I've always been a big fan, and I think he's a, a incredibly talented. Yeah, the, the, the number of guest appearances is an episode in and unto itself. So I'll, I'll just say he's been on a lot of albums, and um, – O- always an impressive performance, um, at least to these years. The irony is I think that one of my least favorites is Rhapsody, although I'm, I'm, I'm coming around on that after all these years. But I, I remember when I first heard uh, Legendary Tales after having heard him on No Limits, I, I I loved it. I was just, I thought the vocals were good. I never thought that they were outstanding. I've done a 180 on that. I think he's a phenomenal vocalist. But I remember that being one of the first uh, big differences um, with the Rhapsody sound, but also, you know, you mentioned this earlier, nobody, and I mean, nobody was doing this in 1997. And now you've got a lot of bands that have kind of copied this style, uh, not, not quite to the success or, um, with the same flavor that Rhapsody does, uh, many imitators, but at the same time, this was so, so different. And, and, and the, 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 the intro track, um, Irritanax really just, I mean, from, from the moment it starts, you know that this is something new and different. And, and you don't know if you're going to like it or not, or at least the, not until Warrior Vice kicks in. But you know that you're in for something really, really different. Yeah, it's even to this day, when I hear that intro go into Warrior Vice, where it just kind of quiets down just for a sec, and then Fabio just comes in and it's like, Oh my god, it, it, that song just kicks my ass every single time I listen to it and um I, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the live experience but when I heard that song performed live for the first time, I lost my mind. I, it was such a it was such a bucket list song to hear performed live. It wasn't even Fabio singing, but it was just so that song is just such a it's such a huge song for me in my like fandom of metal and and like this was really what um made me such a huge fan of symphonic uh power metal and orchestral metal um the, the this was just that song was just my introduction to it and i mean the guitars are blazing and the the bass lines are 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 thumping and the and fabio's just sing, singing his, his heart out and and it's just like Oh my god! And 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 the thing that that I was really really impressed with after going back and listening to this, and it's been you know 
what, almost 25 years now. Um, next, next year, it'll be 25 years. That's unbelievable. Um, it sounds, the, the production is so crisp and so clear. And of course I go and look at the, the credits and sure enough, Sasha Paith and, and Miro are the producers. It just goes to show you how strong of a producer Sasha was even 25 years ago. Um, I mean, you, it's just, to me, like, I can't believe an album from 1997 sounds this sonically good. Yeah, you don't need to remaster this, right? Like, this sounds about as perfect as an album is going to sound, especially given what's on this disc, because you have, you have, <laughs> I, I mean, you have all these different sounds with the, with the, with obviously the classical violins and the viola and the cello. Um, and then of course the, uh, as they call it, the choir of immortals, which was something I knew about and obviously heard on the disc. I didn't realize who actually was in that group. I'll touch upon this for a second. It actually has a couple of uh, other vocalists whom I really enjoy, not least of which is Thomas Redke. Um, Thomas Redke is a German singer, most notably known for his work with Heaven's Gate back in the late, uh, late 80s and, and 90s. Really uh, a, a kind of a not a very well-known singer, but a singer who I just loved. He, they, their album in 1991, Living in Hysteria, I kind of bought blind on eBay probably in the late 90s. And I still really enjoy that disc as a power metal disc. Uh, later on, he would go and join Red Key, who came out with an album in 2006, um, also in that a little bit less power metal, a little more just heavy metal, if you will. But I didn't realize that he was in this group of, you know, this all-star uh, backing vocalists that, that were on the album. You can't really tell that he's on there, but when I read it, I was I was surprised. And when you and Heaven's Gate, you mean the band, not the cult, right? Yeah, 1000%. We've got enough cults running around these okay. days, but that's a story for another podcast. Just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah, the other thing, too, is that like Rhapsody would go on to have like the, like these massive productions as far as uh, having like an entire orchestra and tons of musicians. And, and this is actually, if you listen to the, this album, you'd be surprised at how few people are actually involved you know, musician wise in putting this together, because it sounds very full um, considering that it's just a handful of, of folks and, you know, a choir of about eight or nine people, uh, you know, in the future, they would have like an entire massive choir and an entire orchestra, I guess, when there was, uh, you know, more money coming in. But I mean, this album sounds pretty incredible considering the limited staff that was involved. Yeah, no, no question about it. And you have this blistering, you know, the Warrior of Ice, this blistering opening track. And then it goes into one of the more unique sound songs on the album, but but an absolute classic in Rage of the Winter. Yeah, the, I mean, just brace yourself because this is just going to be me like salivating over every single song. But um, yeah, this is another one. Um, it, it, it starts out kind of... Uh, you don't know that like what's coming. It seems like it's going to be maybe a little bit mellower. And then it just, uh, the chorus is just, you know, just hits you. Uh, oh my God. I, I almost started singing, but nobody wants to hear that. Um, <laughs> well, I, I've been singing it all week, so I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, really an iconic, iconic track. Um, and, and what, I mean, you talk about a one, two punch to start an album. You, you, by this point, you can tell what Rhapsody is all about, or at least, you think you do because then we get into forest of unicorns, which is a completely different experience altogether. Yeah, this is uh 
I mean, this might be where Rhapsody might have lost a few people. Um, Myself because- included. I'm going to be honest with you. When I, I'll just, I'll cut you off and I'll just say it. I love this band and I've been listening to this band for a long time, but it was tracks like far, it was tracks like Forest of Unicorns where I really questioned as to, was I enjoying this or was I just like, is this an extension of me wanting to play some sort of an RPG video game or what is going on here? Because it's, it's. It just sounds like a bunch of elves and fairies literally running around the forest and you have the harpsichord and the flute and you just, I mean, it's, how do you explain it? It's like, it, it's, it's like the first ballad on the disc, but it's not really a ballad. It's more of like a, a folksy waltz. I, I don't even know how you'd describe it. Yeah. I mean, I think that they did a better job in, in future albums doing a song in this style, like uh, Village of Dwarves from Dawn of Victory and, March of the Swordmaster from Power of the Dragon Flame, where it kind of takes that that kind of like whimsical, folky kind of sound, but it makes it a little bit more accessible and a little catchier. I mean, this is a little bit even for me on the cheesy side. Um, yeah, and I think I've always thought I've always thought that it's probably it's probably the only song on the entire album that I don't think is 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 great, um, but. You know, it, it's also keep in mind that this is the first part of, of many chapters of, of a story. So, you know, you can't really expect every song to just be like this slapping, like, you know, just, you know, crazy power metal song. So, I mean, this actually makes for a pretty good segue between Rage of the Winter and then the song that will follow, Flames of Revenge, which is another, like, fast-paced you know power metal anthem that i um i remember when we saw luca Torelli's rhapsody at prog power i i think i was about to like because we were we were sponsors and we were in front of the rail and i think i like it was a long show they played for over two hours and i i think i i was like i need to find a spot where i could go use the bathroom and i was just about to walk away and they they hit that opening riff to the song and i ran right back to my spot i was like oh there's no way in hell i'm missing them play flames of revenge because another this just another just just sick like power metal slapping just like just ass whipping you know, song. It's just fantastic. And and to, to your point, this is a deeper cut, right? I, I don't think anybody expected them to actually whip this out when 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 Luca played live. That show was easily two hours. I, it may have been pushing two and a half hours. Um, but I, I, even then, I was surprised that they that they touched Flames of Revenge because I don't know that they've ever played that live, or at least not to my knowledge. I'm sure they. Yeah, I have no idea, but it was. Oh man, <laughs> what a cool, what a great song! Like I, it's. I kind of consider, um, you know, Warrior of Ice, Flames of Revenge, and Land of Immortals is kind of like the big three, um, just like anthemic, speedy power, like symphonic power metal songs. I mean, there's lots of them on this album, but those those three really, I think, uh, stuck out to me when I was a kid, and to this day are, are still, I would argue, the three strongest tracks on the album, um, along with Rage of the Winter, I would say, but. Um, these three are just nonstop, just, you know, like just, it's just, I, I don't even know how to, to verbalize how awesome this is. So just go listen to it. Yeah. I I'll say this, you know, we'll get into it. Virgin skies. The, the sixth track is really just an intro to land of immortals. And I, I think you definitely would agree with me there. 
for me, and, and I'll just put it out there, Land of Immortals, when, by the time you get to that track, that is my track of the week, hands down. I love that song, and, and I, I would put it up there with any power metal song ever written. Um, as good as Warrior of Ice is, and it is great, and as good as some of these other tunes are, uh, are Land of Immortals was when they hit this album out of the park for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really disagree at all. Um, it, it's uh, to me, it's one of the the greatest, not just one of the greatest rhapsody songs of all time, but it's 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 one of my favorite metal songs ever. Um, it's just that good. Um, this, I think, has always been a staple of of their live show. To, no matter which version of rhapsody you see, um, just like and you know, we haven't really mentioned uh, the 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 Luca to really Alex star Poli, just the, the, the way that they play against one another um, because, you know, compare the, compare it to like Halloween where you have two guitar players that are kind of dueling. Um, This is different because you have a guitar player and a keyboard player, which creates this whole different dynamic. Um, And they're just a force. Like these are two guys that are just absolute masters of their instruments, not to mention the, the guys that are composing all of the music, um, you know, on this album, uh, the two of them together were an absolute force. Yeah. The, 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 the songwriting and the compositions here are, are second to none. Um, and if you look, you know, just with, with revisionist history for, for almost 25 years, just the amount of, of, um, epic songs, Albums and EPs that both of them have done in their own right is just downright scary. Just the amount of of, of um, quality music um, that they put out—it's incredible. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I remember when Symphony of Enchanted Lands was released, and I bought the the limited edition box set. It was fascinating because there was this very detailed booklet that it came with, and it, you know, it each had each band members you know, uh, what their favorite albums and their, the artists that inspire them. And it was so interesting to me to see how they were like all the stuff that they love or this, the same stuff I love, but throw in that, that John Williams, Danny Elfman, you know, uh, fan, you know, fandom of, 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 uh, Hollywood soundtracks and they just masterfully combined, you know, power metal with Hollywood soundtracks with, uh, like medieval sounding instruments, like, you know, like the Baroque recorder, which um, Alex's brother Manuel plays on a lot of the, uh, the Rhapsody albums. Um, 
it was just it was just such a recipe for success i think um and something that really like no one had done so you know they were breaking new ground and and like you said before lots of lots of uh copiers or or you know i guess uh imitations the sincerest form of flattery um because there's lots of bands that do this type of music very very well but uh you know rhapsody was was to me they were the the first the first and 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 probably still the best you know not that there aren't others that are very good but they they i still think that they are probably the best at what they do and and like you said the first um and now there's two of them so yeah who's going to compete with that <laughs> yeah exactly it's interesting because when you get after Land of Immortals, they go into Echoes of Tragedy, which to me is like what I want their ballads to sound like. Not quite, um, not not quite as off the wall as Farce of Unicorns, um, and, and really, I think Echoes of Tragedy kind of sets the table for all their ballads on future albums. So I, I think that they um, they were experimenting a bit, and obviously, you know, kind of going along with the story. Um, but the lyrics, look, listen, the reality is this: with Rhapsody, the lyrics are not what got me into the band. If anything, it detracted a little bit for me just in general because I couldn't relate to any of this stuff. Um, but you know something? I should have known what I was in for when I looked at the cover of the album because if you look at the cover of the album, you see a dragon on the far left going to battle with a guy on a horse and a sword. And like that classic – That's not a horse. Dungeon- that's, that's a unicorn. Oh, yes, yes. I, you're, abso- you're absolutely correct. And, th- and that would obviously make sense. Um, but And then Legendary Tales is obviously in that like Dungeons and Dragons font. So I should have known what I was in for, that it wasn't going to be quite as introspective as Fate's Warning or a, or a Wolverine. But listen, lyrics aside, obviously, this is this was groundbreaking stuff and, and, and stuff I can still enjoy, you know, and, and, and probably enjoyed it more now than I did even about 10 years ago, because I think I had just kind of played it so much that I got sick of it after a while. Yeah. I, I, that's kind of what I think is, is the funny thing about this band is that there were probably so many, you know, dudes that were all like, Oh, like this is so cheesy. This like lyric, you know, these lyrics are so cheesy. And these are like the same dudes that were 45 years old and still playing Dungeons and Dragons and Final Fantasy. So, um, Sorry that your metal isn't cool enough, but uh, as as somebody who's a big fan of of RPGs uh, at that time, like the the lyrical content, I was like, yeah, it's cheesy, but it's fun. Like if you're into that kind of thing, like I don't know, I, I, I raps. One of the things I definitely thought about while listening to Rhapsody this week is that it makes me just want to play video games. There's like this kind of I don't know if they really even considered that when they were making this music, but then again some of the great, you know, video game soundtracks have borrowed a lot from the great Hollywood soundtracks. So I guess there'd be a connection there, but I also remember listening to, to these, especially the first two Rhapsody albums while playing, you know, uh, Castlevania symphony of the night and, and final fantasy seven and games around that time. So, um, to me, I don't know, Rhapsody kind of goes hand in hand with, with, with gaming to me. So, and, and obviously the, the themes thematically, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, dragons and unicorns and things of that nature. I mean, might as well be a Dragon Quest game, of course. (laughs) It's not even just the games, although that's obviously a part of it for me. But I can't help but think of the Lord of the Rings movies, which had obviously started coming out in 2001 and and would come out for the next three years. You know, the trilogy. When I hear this music, 
I, I really thought of it as like going hand in hand with those movies that would come out just a couple of years later and probably were in pre-production around this time just because of the massive undertaking those films were. Um, it goes hand in hand. And quite frankly, they could have done the soundtrack um, just because of the nature of, of, of the, you know, the songwriting and the orchestration and whatnot. Yeah. So getting back to echoes of tragedy though, like I, I think this is such a well done song with the, the choruses and I, I, you know, when I was listening to it, I, I it almost kind of gave me kind of a man of war, like that over dramatic ballad kind of thing that man of war would do in a way um, more so like the chorus than, than the, than the, the, you know, the, the verses, but um, yeah, no, it has that epic feel to it, and it's interesting because they would go on to work with Joey DeMaio late, later in, in in their career. Yeah, so um, I I enjoy this. I think it's it's a it's a short track, and it's I think it's you got to play it loud, like not to sound like Joey DeMaio, but like <laughs> it, it's it's just such a like sonically impressive song with with the with the the musicianship and the and the singing and everything, um. I, I wouldn't put Forest of Unicorns in the ballad. I don't think it's a ballad. It, it's like you said, it's kind of like this this jaunty folk tune. Uh, I feel like this Echoes of Tragedy is really the one actual ballad that's on this album. And I think it's really well done. And, and I think um, their best ballad would, would come on their next album with uh, with uh, Wings of Destiny. Personally, it's my favorite rhapsody ballad of all time but um this is really good too and it leads into lord of the thunder which is um you know what take it away (laughs) i have been singing this song all day and i'm not even kidding you i find myself singing it to myself over and over and i don't even know the words so i'm really just singing the notes (laughs) because i don't even know the words this is a um extremely speedy extremely catchy uh and one of the best choruses on the album uh not again, not lyrically, just in terms of the way that it just sticks with you. It's it's a very much an underrated track because nobody ever talks about it. But uh, Lord of the Thunder, please be my guide because it's 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 fantastic. Yeah, uh, the 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 chorus again, it, like you said, it, I, it was stuck in my head this week too. And and um, again, like another just another showcase of during the solos of Luca and Alex just going back and forth and showing their chops but um this song is also just another like power metal force it's 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 really really good stuff and and they cap it off with it's kind of interesting that this album is is chock full of these like really like just slapping power metal songs and then then they finish off with this kind of you know it's the longest song on the album it's it's very folky it's not i don't know if i'd call it a ballad so much as it is just kind of a a mid-tempo kind of uh almost renaissance fair kind of tune which i i'll be honest with you like i i always thought that this song was kind of disappointing that you're finishing this album full of of like these ass-kicking songs with kind of like this renaissance fair kind of like mid-tempo tune but you know, after years and years of listening to it more and more, I love this song. I, I think it's so good. It's so, um, it's so Rhapsody. Like it, as much as Rhapsody is all about like fast power metal and, and blazing solos, I mean, this is also what Rhapsody is all about. And I think, whereas Forest of Unicorns might have missed the mark a little bit on, on the on the folkiness in terms of being maybe a little too corny, I feel like this is perfect for for what it is and a great way 
to end end the album. Uh, great, just great core, the great chorus, chorus uh, po- like portions. Um, I I never, it never I never put two and two together until this week when I was listening to it. But I'll say it again. I just heard Renaissance Fair while I was listening to this. So yeah, it's know. funny. I when I was listening to the to the closing track, the title track. First of all, there are portions of that song that remind me of Angels Cry, Angra. In other words, not the song, but just the album and the feel of certain parts of that album. I feel like you could have taken certain parts of the song and put it on Angels Cry, and you probably wouldn't have known the difference, although it certainly is part of Rhapsody's signature sound. I'll also say that I kept thinking to myself, this should not have been the closing track. They should have added one more track and closed it with something else. Not necessarily fast. It just felt, it it kept me wanting to hear just one more epic track to end it. I I felt like this missed the mark a little bit. I can't put my finger on it. I like the track. I just wanted something else to end the disc. And I thought it was slightly anticlimactic. Yeah. and And that was definitely my opinion of it at one point in time. But now it's kind of like, I think it's because the, the album is so front loaded too, because you have like warrior of ice and rage of the winter and flames of revenge and land of immortals. And all those are all like, other than a couple of short uh, tunes in between, like every song is, is that song. So I, I guess it was kind of like a creative choice to, to maybe, maybe, maybe they wanted you wanting more at the end. Like, cause obviously the next album would continue on, with the story and they would also have this even longer epic last track on that album. But, um, I think maybe the, why you felt that way is cause it's not a very long album in, in general. It's a 45 minute album and boy, they crammed a lot into 45 minutes. At least and it I doesn't so. feel like 45 minutes. It, it feels like 25 minutes when you're listening to it, it really does move well. And I've always thought about that about them. Um, and, and I want to talk about the rating and kind of where this fits in in terms of how, how much you like some of these other albums better. We won't go into a deep dive, but uh, I haven't heard. What is your track of the week? Well, I mean, you had mentioned to me that that, that uh, you think we're going to have the same track of the week, and I completely understand uh, why you would say that. Um, but just to be different, because the two songs are neck and neck for me anyway i'm gonna go with warrior of ice um just because the just what it elicits in my mind is the beginning of this love affair with the style of music for me and and i can still go back to it and and it just it's still i've i've probably listened to it a hundred times and it still sounds fresh to me and 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 i'll always think of uh, like being a teenager in my basement and acting out the song while, while Mike is is doing like you know flips <laughs> on the floor and Brian's playing you know uh, Nintendo sixty four wrestling games and uh like it definitely brings you back to our childhood for sure yeah and that's it's a nostalgic pick.
it's just that song. I mean, and I mean, land, I don't know if I, if I had to pick between that and land and Immortals, I'm not sure I could, I think they're both amazing songs. Um, but I guess since you already chose one, I'll choose the other. And, All right. So uh, if you're being obstinate, you want to be different, but no, I, I, I knew it was going to be one of the two. I thought I had a 50, 50 shot, but I, I, I certainly respect that. And I know why warrior of ice kind of holds a, holds a place for you. What would you say in terms of where this fits in? Because I know we both went back and listened to the, the follow-up uh, four or five albums and the couple of EPs in there as well. As good, better, not as good? Wh- where does this fall for you? Well, I I ended up listening to pretty much everything they released under the name Rhapsody before they had to change to Rhapsody of Fire. So that pretty much included the entire saga, uh, the entire... Um, Emerald Sword Saga, which begins with this album, and then um, and then the Symphony of Enchanted Lands Part Two album, and then um, you know whatever EPs kind of fell during that time as well. And to me, um, the first three albums are I would put them up against any band's like three albums in a row. Like we always we talk about a lot about like the the the, the three album punch and like. I, I think of Gamma Ray with Land of the Free and Somewhere Out in Space and Power Plant or Halloween with uh, Master of the Rings, Time of the Oath and Better Than Raw. Um, just around that time, like bands were just like churning out these incredible albums. And, and, and we had a, a, a little chat or a little uh, back and forth on Facebook earlier with, with our friend Mike Johnson and talking about how like, you know, the mid 90s through the, the mid uh, 2000s, was just such a like hotbed of just amazing power metal. And so to me, like this followed by Symphony of Enchanted Lands, followed by Dawn of Victory, those three albums are just so phenomenal. I think that um, Power of the Dragon Flame, while it's a lot better than I remember it, I think it falls a little bit short of these three albums. But I mean, these, these first three albums for me, I, I feel like depending on the day any one of them could be my favorite um i think dawn of victory i I have that one kind of takes me back to my freshman year of college so i have a lot of fond memories of getting that and um you know halloween's dark ride album right around the same time um so i have a lot of fond memories but i also have have a lot of fond memories about getting symphony of enchanted lands as well and um it's so hard for me to to really say which one I think is the best of those three, but I mean, um, I would put those three up against any band's, you know, three best consecutive albums. I think that's just three masterpieces. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, um, I don't know that I would have gone back and listened to any of this stuff anytime soon. Had you not, uh, picked this album, but I did. And it really just echoed a couple of things for me. This is a very good debut album and a groundbreaking debut album. But I think it actually pales in comparison to the next two albums. I think that Symphony of Enchanted Lands is their best album and followed closely by Dawn of Victory, just in terms of the overall quality from beginning to end. There's a little bit of dead spots, in my opinion, on this album, as good as it is and and as as groundbreaking as it is. And then from there, it it kind of peters out a little bit. And and as much as I enjoy it, I would would put them below the, the first three for sure. Um, but it was, it was, it was nice to kind of take the ride and go back into this stuff. 
I am very lucky, and I, I, I know you're not going to want to hear this, but I, I had the pleasure of seeing this lineup live in 2006, I believe, when I saw them open for Manowar. Um, what an incredible show that was. It was a sold-out show at a club here in New York City, and I remember being online and having people come up to me offering me three times face value for the ticket just so that they could go in and see Rhapsody. And I, and I wouldn't give up the ticket. I'm, I'm sure I could have used the money when I was in my 20s, but you know, I didn't. And I went and saw this show and I was just blown away at how good and how tight they were as a live band. And ultimately they would release an album called Live in Canada, The Dark Secret in 2006 based on this 2005 tour, if you will, where they basically played 10 or 11 songs opening for Manowar. It was just such a fun show. And I look forward to being able to see, uh, you know, the the Luca Torelli slash Fabio Leone connection again next year in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I would recommend their DVD as well uh, because those uh, recordings were done around that same time. I believe it was released right around the same time as that uh, that live album, um, and that is called. Um, Oh, I had it up. Visions from the Enchanted Lands. And so the, there's a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff, but also live tracks sprinkled in. So, um, I, I think I got this on like one of those, uh, like Black Friday sales where I just bought like a ton of metal DVDs that I was missing. And, and this was, this is one of my favorite. I, I have a ton of metal DVDs, as you know, and this is one of my favorite ones. There's so much good stuff on here. You know, um, I've never seen it. I got to go on your Plex server and listen to it as an aside. I, I, I've never seen it. Oh, it's I definitely recommend it. It's it's just, I don't know, like this is the kind of music that just puts me in a good mood. I'm sure you feel the same way. And so to to hear it in front of, you know, crowds of people. And I, I think um, they, a lot of the, the clips are from uh, both the, that show in Canada, but also some from Germany and the Czech Republic. And it's it's got a whole bunch of cool stuff on there. So uh, definitely recommend. I don't know. It's probably out of print. I don't know for sure, but if, if you can find it somewhere, I definitely, definitely recommend checking it out. I'm sure there's, um, I'm sure there's like individual songs on YouTube. Uh, but I, I recommend that highly. Um, my, my first, uh, live experience of Rhapsody was seeing, uh, Luca Terilli's Rhapsody at Prague Power. I, I'm fairly certain. I saw that before I saw Rhapsody of Fire, um, but it was probably right around the same time. And it was interesting getting to see uh, the two bands like after Rhapsody had kind of split up into these two bands. And so, you know, you'd have with Luca Terilli's Rhapsody, it would be Luca Terilli. And then um, he would bring with him uh, D- uh, Dominic and... Um, uh, oh, the other guy whose name is French that I'm not forgetting, Patrice. Uh, he would bring them along with him, and uh, and then Fabio would would, would stay with Al, with Alex Staropoli in Rhapsody of Fire, and so you had like the these two, you know, two Rhapsodies, and they were and they were releasing you know really strong material, you know, at the same time, which was really really cool. Um, but getting to see uh, Luca Turilli's Rhapsody with uh, Alessandro from Trick or Treat, who became uh, Luca's vocalist, and he's now the singer for uh, Twilight Force. Uh, he did a phenomenal job. I mean, Lu- uh, Fabio Leone in Rhapsody's shoes are not easy to fill. I thought Alessandro did a fantastic job, and uh, 
They actually had Miko Harkin, uh, former keyboardist for Sonata Artica. Uh, he was their touring keyboard player. That show was unbelievable. I, I, if I recall that it was a two hour and 15 minute set, they played stuff from the Luca Turilli Rhapsody debut album, stuff from Luca Turilli solo projects, stuff from the old Rhapsody albums. The set list was incredible. The crowd was in, insane with the inflatable swords. Uh, arguably one of the most fun times I've ever had watching a band play. Uh, there were portions of it where I watched it with you in front of the rail. There were portions of it where I ran back into the crowd so I could watch it with my friends who weren't sponsoring. I, I mean, I just had so much fun watching that set and, and then, and then seeing Rhapsody of Fire in a completely different type of scenario where they were just doing a tour and they were playing at, I believe it was a, a Gramercy in New York City and uh, Voyager. I mean, the main reason I went was to see Voyager. They were opening. They only played for like a half hour and I like lost my mind for them. But um, I also got to see, I believe it was the first time I got to see Fabio Leone sing live and um, totally different atmosphere, like crazy crowd surfers and moshes. And I was right up front because I was like right on the, almost to, on the stage for uh, for Voyager's set. Um, but boy, like they both, put on both Rhapsodies put on one hell of a show and and I got to see Rhapsody uh, or Luca Trilli's Rhapsody again with you uh opened for Primal Fear in New York City years later and and they they had a shorter set but you know just as enjoyable and and like you said um I am so excited especially after this week to see the this new version of Rhapsody which is almost it's it's basically the, the Rhapsody 25th anniversary or 20th anniversary band kind of coming together to start a full-time band and it's Alex Holsworth on drums joining Fabio, Luca, uh, Dominique and, uh, and Patrice. And, uh, I am so excited to see that, um, that version of Rhapsody. Um, it'll be my first time seeing Luca and Fabio together, which is exciting. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm sponsoring, so that makes it all the more exciting, but, um, just, Oh man, I I've been clamoring to see Rhapsody headline, uh, Prague Power. I guess I technically have, <laughs> based with the Luca Torelli's Rhapsody. But um, this you know other version of Rhapsody. Whatever. Uh, there's a million Rhapsodies. They're all wonderful. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is this is a, a joy for me to go back and, and listen to these albums again. Um, just uh, man, th- this band was such a huge part of my uh, development of uh, as a metal fan. Um, just just set the stage for so many other bands and, 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 you know, another part of the reason why I gravitated more towards power metal than prog metal, because it just, the hooks and, and, and the, just all of it just sucked me in. And, and when you think about just going back to that song, warrior of ice, how I didn't even have to hear the whole song. I was sold. I would, I, I, this album was purchased by me within a minute and a half of listening to uh, to it. And I never heard, never even heard of the band. Didn't even know the band existed until that moment. I mean, I don't, I can't remember the, a time where something just, just spoke to me that quickly. Well, I think it was a great choice. Um, and I'll just leave you with two thoughts before we rate the album. Number one, this band has to play live with a full orchestra. I think of bands like Within Temptation and the Scorpions and Dream Theater. They've all done the orchestra thing. Metallica. But- 
Metallica. Yeah. I mean, I was at, I was at one of the, I was at the S and M show in New York city 20 years ago. The fact that Rhapsody hasn't done the full orchestration thing is, uh, is something that needs to change. And you mentioned Luca Torelli's solo album, King of the Nordic Twilight, maybe the best Luca Torelli project ever. And that goes, and that's including the Rhapsody stuff. That's how high I hold that album in, in, in such high esteem. That oh my god, <laughs> that's gonna that's be another nothing. episode for another day, another, but. another rabbit hole. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I mean I I had to stop myself from diving into that. I mean uh, Luca only did a handful of solo albums before he would you know end up starting Luca Torelli's Rhapsody, but that first one is yeah I put that right up there with any of these first three Rhapsody albums. That is the fact that he was able to make an album that good and then there'd still be enough material for them to, to come out with uh dawn of victory. I mean, it just Nothing goes to sort of incredible. Yeah. I mean, the dude, the dude is just a, a, a epic songwriter and, and not take nothing away from Alex star Poli. I think that the, the force of them together, I'm not sure that either Rhapsody nowadays is ever going to be as strong as far as songwriting is concerned with the two guys apart. Um, and I think that based on the, the Rhapsody of Fire's most recent single, it seems like they're kind of, if and maybe this is just a one-off, but it, it's, it seems like they're kind of stepping away from the, the you know, uh, Renaissance Fair, uh, you know, that kind of, that, that style of, of uh, what's the word I used earlier? Um, just old, like old-timey, uh, what do you call it? Um just that kind of style. It, it sounds like they're going in a more maybe modern direction with their, their new singer, uh, Giacomo Voli. So uh, I'm interested to see what a, a, the next full length album sounds like um, for Rhapsody of Fire. Uh, but, you know, like I said, um, the, the two of these guys together, you know, it, it kind of harkens back to Kai and, and Waiki, you know, the, the songwriting, you know, Dynamo for in the early days of Halloween where you just had these, these two beasts of beast of songwriters who also happen to be the guys who are playing the, the guitars. Whereas in this case it would be Luca and Alex playing guitars and keyboards, but basically same difference. Um, it was magic and they came out guns a blazing with this album, legendary tales for sure. Uh, well said um, scale of one to 10. What, what do you rate this disc? Uh, for me, this is a, a nine point two five. I would say um, I, I, it's not perfect because it's a little bit short. I think, and like you said, it does kind of leave you wanting more. And, and um, it, it's it's close to it's. Oh man, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm gonna go with my my first instinct and just say nine point two five. I think that's the that's. That's where that where it goes for me. I'll say this: I'm giving it an eight point five. I think that it's the the great stuff is phenomenal, and and it's imp. You want to talk about impact? It's it's a fifteen out of ten, right? I mean, it's in terms of its impact on just power metal and and the metal scene in general. Um, but there's 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 it, it's not without its flaws, and, and I think that subsequent albums are better and. and you know, in that rarefied nine air. So I, 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 I ding it a little bit for that. 
and and through no fault of its own again the vocal the 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 um the lyrics uh take a little something away from me just because you have to kind of be in the mood for it but certainly a very enjoyable listen and and its mark on the industry is um second to none so with that we have uh we have legendary tales by rhapsody and i think it's actually my turn to pick something for next week and uh, is it Symphony of Enchanted Lands? It, it's, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it is not. You're going to have to wait for that. But I, I, I want to do something a little bit different next week. Uh, not different in terms of black metal, although I promise you we will get there and we will get there soon. But I wanted to, I wanted to tell you a little story and I'll uh, explain why I picked a particular album. Grandfather, tell me a story. Exa- exactly. And, and no, it's, it's not Manowar either. Um, I, I want to go back to 70,000 tons of metal for a second. I was on this cruise and, uh, there was one day where all, it was a beautiful day in the middle of the Caribbean. And I go up to, um, the pool deck and, uh, it's probably late morning, early afternoon. And there's this band that's playing on stage that I had never heard of in my life. And I didn't get to see their whole set. I was only there for about 10 or 15 minutes because I had other obligations. But when I see this band playing, I see a orchestra, very similar to what I was talking about with Rhapsody, but a small orchestra behind this band with flutes and acoustic guitars and elect- and obviously the band themselves with, with their electric guitars and, and female backing vocals. And, and I just had no idea what the hell this was, but I said to myself, this is really cool. I, I'm, I'm, I enjoyed what I heard, and I had never heard of noted from this band before. So I did a little homework when I got home. I found out that this band had four albums um, that had basically come out um, in the in I, I guess it's like the late uh, late nineties, early two thousands, and and a couple of albums into into the two thousands. And then they really haven't done very much at all since. But they've played a ton of festivals around the world, and they continue to play live. And, and I'm pretty sure that it's a band that you've never heard of. And it's a band called Haggard. Are you familiar with them at all? I, I, I am, as a matter of fact. Really? Um, yeah, surprise, surprise. Uh, thanks to my friend Caleb, um, who, when I first became friends with him, he was telling me about, um, you know, some of the bands. He would, go, he would literally go through my entire iTunes and be like, okay, you're going to need this and you're going to need this. And, uh, and one of the bands he told me to check out was, was Haggard. And that so, is hysterical. So I, so I actually have uh, four albums by them. I'm you have all sure. Oh, well, then there you go. So I, I, I am ready for whichever album you choose. I, to be honest with you, I've listened to a track here, a track there. I, I, I have a, an idea of what they're about, um, but um, this would definitely be a, a a very new experience, like listening to one of their albums, uh, you know, several times and really, really ingest it. Well, that is exactly why I wanted to do it because even though I had every intention of going back and listening to them when I got home from the cruise, uh, life got in the way and other things got in the way and I never gave them their due listen. In fact, I've never actually heard a note of theirs um, outside of that ship. So I did a little research. A lot of people are saying that Awaking the Centuries is their best disc. It was recorded on February, uh, released in, in February of 2000. And that's what we're going to listen to uh, this week. We're going to talk about something that you and I have literally never heard. And uh, we'll see what our impressions are after a week of listening to Awaking the Centuries. I, I think this is such a cool uh, choice just because I think it's something that I remember enjoying the little bit that I heard. Um and then for whatever reason, just never like went back in and tried to, as a matter of fact, based on my iTunes listening, uh, 
tracking or whatever. I mean, it doesn't even look like I ever actually sat down and listened to any of these four albums start to finish. Just looks like random songs here and there. Um, so, I mean, this might as well be brand new. Well, then um, I, I had a feeling you weren't going to be uh, very familiar at, at, at a minimum. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to this next week, and we'll come back to you with uh, with some Haggard from 2000. And uh, thanks, everyone, for, for submitting requests. We have a, a bunch of new material that we're going to cover in the coming months. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the week's show, and we'll, we'll be back next week with something completely different. Yep, and then the week after that, I'm probably going to choose Symphony of Enchanted Land. <laughs> and we go back to Rhapsody. Uh, have a great week. I hope you, uh, I'm sure you enjoyed this week, and uh, hopefully you enjoy Haggard just the same. I'll, I'll talk to you during the week, bud. All right, take care.